Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the sixth of our weekly podcast of practice managers. This is a recording of the webinar run on the 6th of May. Okay, so um, normally we would start with a sort of overview of what's happening in all the hospitals and um, the community but actually to be fair nothing really has changed Um, what we're aware of is that um, the peak again still hasn't happened it's still looking quite good if depending on which way you look at it Um, what we do know is that nationally they are starting to look at putting the new nightingales actually on hold So the ones in Birmingham, um, Manchester, Bristol did actually open last week. I think it had four people in for a very short time. Um, Just so you're aware, the Nightingale in London that was at the XL was actually set up for ventilation. Um, The rest of them were only set up for oxygen. So they can still be uh, redeployed should we need them. But at this point in time, all of those additional um, centres have actually just been put on hold, not iced completely, because what we don't know is what the Prime Minister is going to tell us on Sunday. And if we start to lift the lockdown, depending on how well that goes, we certainly don't want the NHS and yourselves and everybody else getting overwhelmed. So they're they're hedging their bets quite a lot. You've probably seen all that on the news. We're not telling you anything new. Um, We're just really confirming what you're hearing is, is actually the truth. Um, So I'm going to move on and we're going to talk about a few things today. We're going to talk about testing. We're going to talk about uh, referrals to secondary care, a bit about flu, the new to partnership um, funding, PPE for home visits, the fact that COVID's um, notifiable. We're going to talk a bit about the bank holiday Friday, shielding, and a little bit about information governance. And then at the end, we'll just talk about um, the way the future is starting to look. So first of all, we'll talk about um, testing. We've had quite a few queries this week from practices asking if they're going to get testing kits because where they see somebody that appears to be symptomatic, um, understandably, particularly if they're frail, elderly, whatever, you want to do um, the testing. At this point in time, that is not an option. However, you can go online. There is a self-referral, as you know, for patients. You can actually use that on behalf of the patient if you want to. If not, make sure you're aware of the link. It's on our website um, and it's, it's, it's a portal. You go on there and you can book a test either in a center or I think most of the questions have been about frail elderly, they can have a testing kit um, delivered to them at home and then collected. So it's all on the portal. So that's the way to do it at this point in time. Um, Moving on, just to let you know, there was a lot of angst about PPE in terms of donning and doffing, and particularly um, with regard to home visits. So Helene Irvin, um, our nurse advisor, has put together some information in a really nice um, flip snack, one of these flippy books and um, I can never get the name right and um, that's been put onto our website as well on the COVID pages so if anybody's not sure about the process for donning and doffing for home visits it's, it's a really really good booklet it doesn't take a lot of reading we've had a lot of feedback from nurses in particular saying how helpful it is so please make use of it 
Um, we are still getting a lot of you coming to us to say that secondary care is still rejecting referrals. Um, and we've been looking into this right across the patch from up in Swindon at GWH right down to Bournemouth Pool um, and everywhere in between. A lot of the hospitals have managed to re, um, uh, reinvigorate, shall we say, their referrals, but a lot of them are still having to work on it because they stepped it down, because they moved consultants into different, um, to doing different work in the hospitals. They haven't quite got it all back together again. We are told... <laughs> faithfully you're going to kill me next Wednesday if I get this wrong that by Monday of next week all referrals will be accepted by secondary care um, in, in the way that you choose to send them now obviously they're going to prioritize two-week waits and any real urgence they're also going to bring back the old advice and guidance which some of us still had access to some didn't the advice and guidance is brilliant if all your gps or your nurses need is just a bit of um, guidance about how they should treat a patient what dosage is best for certain medication whatever you can use the advice and guidance but by next week everybody will have re-established their acceptance of uh, referrals once you've made that referral the responsibility lies with the hospital, not with you. So please don't be fooled by secondary care coming back saying, oh, yeah, but you better follow up on it. By then, don't. It's their responsibility once you've sent it. Um, we've also been asked questions. We've got quite a few, which is great. People wanting to take on new partners and are awaiting for the detail on the new to partnership £20,000 a uh, non-payback loan providing they stay with you for five years again we are expecting the detail out by the end of this week we keep getting promised it um, but we were told quite categorically on Monday it will be with us by the end of this week now sometimes Richard Vautry the chair of the GPC when he says the end of the week he writes his email at something like midnight so it might be with us by midnight on Friday but whatever whichever way it comes we will let you know it's still there it's still, um, you are still going to be able to utilize it for people new to partnership from 1st of April this year. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was flu. And we know a lot of you have got a lot of angst about the flu season is, is due, we start September. We know, I think everybody knows, that we're not going to be fully out of shielding or lockdown by September. And so we've put a request in to the GPC. And in fact, Nigel and I both did it at the same time, not knowing each other was doing it. But we both put in a request to find out we know if, if we're still in shielding, if we're still in lockdown, you're going to have to provide your flu services and have very, very different way. We don't know if you're going to be expected to have porter cabins in the car park, whether you're going to have to put up tents, whether or not you're going to have to send them all to a coal site, or we just don't know how that's going to work. What we do know is it's going to be an awful lot more work. It's going to take an awful lot longer. There's going to need an awful lot more um, PPE. We're well aware of that. We're working with the GPC and the BMA to get some information out to you. The other thing, of course, we have raised is about your stock. You were all urged to order more stock 
um, because they are expecting a bigger uptake because we know the COVID vaccine is not going to be available for probably a year, even though we know they're testing now. And it's likely that more people will think, well, if at least if I don't get the flu, I might not get pneumonia. If I don't get pneumonia, I might not catch COVID. I think that's the, the thought process. Um, so we know you've been urged to order more. We also know about your stock levels, about, you know, your your percentage of, of uh, returns if it comes to it. And again, we've asked the, the, the BMA and the GPC to work with NHS England, the Public Health England on that, because the, the owners should not be on practices. You'll be asked to increase. You, it's going to cost more to provide the service this year. We, we're absolutely sure of that. Um, and we've asked for that to be addressed so that you are not out of pocket. Um, I think that's all I wanted to really sort of raise. Oh, there was something about the Fluenz. Is that right, Michelle, Fluenz? Um, apparently, the Fluenz stock is going to be out of date tomorrow. No, yesterday, I think it was. So the practices need to make sure that yep. they don't, they don't um, use it and dispose of it. As they should okay was that it we didn't want to say anything else i don't think so i think they just need to make sure that they haven't got any stocks because obviously um if it's out of date they shouldn't be using them probably not yeah but so, so it's the 1920 stock that that was centrally procured and delivered yes okay so yeah please check your dates you know cqc are still on the prowl even though they're not coming into your surgeries but they'll be aware of this so they will be looking for it when they do come back to you so uh Please make sure you, you, you discard of any unused stock. I'm going to hand over to Michelle now to talk about bank holiday and also about shielding. Thanks, Michelle. Okay, so I'll do shielding first. So as we've said before, it's been, um, been a bit of a dog's dinner as to how this is managed, but it was really just to um, re-emphasise the fact that shielding, from our understanding, ends on the 30th of June. However, it's likely that this will be extended um, practices have been asked to uh, requested to contact their patients, um, uh, the shielded patients. But what we would say is, is where you can, you just need to try your best with this, but consider using other members of the team. So your social prescriber might be another um, team member who can help make contact with, uh, with these patients. The other thing, I think the final thing just to say on that is that you need to consider if this goes on, if they extend shielding, um, how you can support these patients going forward um, as a practice and within your PCN area. And I'm sure there'll be some information coming out about that, but it might be worth just giving it some thought um, whilst we wait that guidance. Um, bank holiday. So Friday um, was a bank holiday, but has now um, is now a normal working day for, for practices. The only thing I will say is it is different to Easter. So Easter... Um, there was the expectation that all practices would be open. However, for the bank holiday on Friday, it will mean that the, the CCGs are looking at local options. So it doesn't necessarily mean that every practice has to be open. Um, it'll be for local determination. So what I would suggest is if you um, if you're not a, if you're not aware what the expectation is of you to contact your CCG to ensure that you know what's needed of you because if they're not aware that you're opening, therefore you won't be able to claim the expense through the COVID fund. Um, so if you don't know, contact your CCG and have a discussion with them. As I say, local variation uh, will occur. I'm sure there are some areas I think. 
um, BSW and Dorset are potentially using their out-of-hours service to provide it. I think that's correct, Carol, isn't it? Yep, that's right. You need to check. If you don't know, check with your CCG what your, the expectation is of you um, and go from there. Thanks, Michelle. Can I just remind everybody to use a Q&A box, please? It's just going to be too difficult if we have some of the Zoom chat going on and some of the Q&A chat and we can actually answer questions in the Q&A. So if you put anything in the Zoom chat, if you could just transfer it to the Q&A box, that would be really helpful for us. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I think Emily's is going to talk a little bit about um, information governance now and a webinar coming up. Yes, thanks, Louise. Um, just a quick mention that we are running a uh, webinar on IG and COVID on the 14th of May at midday. So we'll send out more details of that soon. That's with um, Adam Tuckett, <coughs> who is going to be answering your questions and providing a bit of an overview. In kind of, in terms of areas that we're intending to cover, we're gonna look at video consultations, consent and capacity, SMS and texts, um, areas like pharmacy nomination and seeking consent, um, latest guidance on SARS and whether they can be delayed and use of volunteers and um, IG. If there are any other burning issues that people would like us to cover, it'd be really useful if you could let us know in advance so that we can prepare for it. So just drop either myself or Louise an email and we're happy to pick that up. Thank you, Lisa. And with that, um, that web webinar is now live on our website. So if you'd like to register for that, that would be lovely. And we will send you some information about the link going forward. That's going to be run by Microsoft Teams. And we're just going and um, sorting out the technology for that. But the link will be coming out to you shortly. So hopefully that's going to be really useful because um, Adam and Lisa make a very good team for these sort of things. So I think that's going to be really handy. Um, I think, Carol, we're just going to have a little word now about the future and what we might want to do going forward before we go to the Q's and A's. Um, just one thing I wanted to mention before I go into that. Um, mm. Some of you have asked us about the fact that COVID is a notifiable disease and who should do that notifying. And I, you're going to hate me for this, but it's, it's the clinician who either suspects or diagnoses because it's suspected and confirmed. Now, what we do know is if somebody goes via a test centre or goes to one of the testing centres, we believe, we haven't had confirmation, we've asked for it, but we believe the lab then has to do the notification. However, when somebody rings 111 or goes through the clinical uh, COVID clinical assessment centre, the CCAS, they are not diagnosing, they are triaging, and therefore if their triage is for the patient to come to you, and you suspect or confirm that they have COVID, then I'm afraid the notification is down to you as a practice. Um, as I say, we're trying to get a bit more clarity on that because we do know there were conflicting advice um, from public health and from the standard operating procedures um, from NHS England, but, but we, are, we are clear that it is both suspected and um, confirmed diagnosis. Um, so before we go on the questions, then the last thing I just want to talk to you about is, of course, everybody is now talking about the future and what the future will look like. And I think everybody knows that there's no way it will go back to what it was before this pandemic. We also are really clear that everybody is really keen to capture what has actually worked well during this period, what, what the transformation has actually helped with. 
a lot of PCNs and collaborations and, and federations and alliances were struggling a little bit to get that full engagement and to get that, um, uh, you know, full collaboration across all the stakeholders. And this pandemic has actually helped a lot of people to do that. And we don't want to lose the good bits from that. Our The engagement with hospitals and with community um, has really ramped up and has been a lot better. In most cases, I won't say in all, um, our work with social services and local authorities has actually been better. And we want to capture that and we want to make sure that what's good is retained. What's okay and probably slightly better, we'd like to look at that and how do you modify it to make it work well for the future. Obviously, digitalization, we were talking about that before before any of this happened, and it's come on leaps and bounds. Um, you know, I think most of us are amazed at the use of technology over these last few weeks, and we want to keep and capture that. This could mean a whole new world in terms of, you know, our patients seen where they're seen, are they seen face-to-face, -face? is it telephone, is it video? Um, how, how do we do testing? What will our patients look like? What will our premises look like? Are we going to need them in the same way as we, we, we've had them prior to the pandemic? So all of that has been looked at, and it's been looked at by a myriad of people. But what we would like you to give some thought to is if you've got examples of things that have gone absolutely phenomenally well, and we know a lot of you have sent in some um, some uh, stuff for us to have a look at and say, you know what, this went really well, this is great, we want to keep it. We'd love to hear about all of that. And then we can share good practice and we can make sure that what's working well continues to work well and goes well into the future. So that's all I wanted to say. Thank you, Louise. Brilliant. Thanks, Carol. I think all those are the questions now. Um, so, Carol, a little bit following on from what you were just saying just now, should we be resuming annual health checks? So what we are what we're expecting from NHS England, and it may well come on the webinar tomorrow night, we're expecting some guidance about what they want from practices. They're certainly talking about a return to routine work. And I know a lot of you are concerned about where you are with, with COF for this year, where you are with your DESIs and your LESIs. That funding is still um, guaranteed no matter what. D don't worry about that. that. That was a promise that was made. We've got it in writing, um, not quite in blood, but nearly. Um, but yes, we're going to have to start returning to routine work. The problem we've got with that is how are we going to do that? because you can't be expected to deal with COVID as it stands. We're still in phase one of the crisis. We're almost into phase two, which is, you know, reducing some of the crisis work and doing more of the routine. We are expecting more detail on that. We are, we are expecting you've continued with child image, you've continued with cervical screening. What we're expecting now is, is, a, is a, a sort of step, change towards what's expected so we'll keep an eye on it we will keep you up to date um but we also recognize you can't do everything you were doing before and deal with covid and do your hot and cold sites and everything else so we're aware of that and gpc is aware of it and the bma are, are aware of it and we've actually talked about the funding um issues as well as getting back into routine work so we're on top of it we can't tell you any more just yet unless any of my colleagues know anything more.
I think the answer is no. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> Thank you. Um, a little bit of shielding now. First of all, I'll stick with Carol just for this one, then I'll come on to you, Michelle. So some advice regarding clinical staff living with a shielded relative. Is there any guidance about what they can and cannot do in terms of face-to-face -face contacts? Uh, so actually, I'm going to go to Michelle on that because Michelle okay. did some scenarios around that. She did. Good point. We've had this query in as well from uh, another practice. I think this is a really difficult situation. These members of your team will find themselves in something they would never have expected them to be in. Um, I think Jenny uh, on the chat had suggested there's a really good risk assessment on practice index. So we would assess, we would say you need to risk assess your member of staff. I think when they in the shielding letter, it does say about households that they need to reduce their contact outside the home. So I think my first suggestion would be to look at if they can work from home um, and remote access. It may not be the role that they're doing now. It may be for something different and whether they'd be willing to do that, I think would be my first option. And if that's not possible, then I think you need to have a conversation with the member of staff and probably your HR advisor as to what options you can offer them around how it's going to work. I think the only thing I would add to that is that practices have had their uh, funding protected, their income, um, and therefore one consideration may be that if they can't work from home and they're shielding because of, that, because of a shielded relative, whether practices consider... Um, Fun paying this member of staff and if you need backfill then you could discuss with your CCG whether you could claim the reimbursement from the COVID funding to backfill that member of staff but I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here I think you're probably going to need to talk it through with your HR advisor. Okay and um, for a bit more on shielding as, you, as you're there Michelle um, what about views on regarding shielding patients how are we supposed to be um, consulting with them are they supposed to be coming to the cold site or the green site or consulting from home I think there's a little bit more what guidance is there out there I think that's a good question I think that also comes into the future stuff that we're starting to think about as well um, I know that I think from memory Nigel's put something out and I think there is guidance that says that shielded patients could go to a cold cold site um, but I know there are a number of CCGs that are starting to look at whether that's possible and what that would mean um, I think it is possible, but there's going to need to be some significant uh, protocol around, around this. I think one area suggested that they would see all of their shielded patients who needed to be seen face-to-face -face on a Monday morning, because obviously there's been no one in the building over the weekend, which would then reduces the risk. So I think, I, I think guidance will come out over time, and I think some areas are starting to look at it. And from memory, I think there is guidance that says shielded patients could be seen at a cold cold site and I think we're just thinking about the best way that that could be done and one suggestion is a Monday morning because you've had no activity in your potentially no activity in your practice for two days which therefore reduces the risk again. Okay thank you Michelle I think we're moving on to testing it's a little bit of um, discussion about testing and how frustrating this has been very frustrating and slow results are very slow and some one of the first comments actually as, as we came on the, the that um, it's easier for a member of staff to put themselves directly um, rather than somebody trying to do it for them. But there seems to be general frustration about testing. Is there anything more you can add about that, Karen? Any advice you can give practice managers? It's, it's a difficult one, Louise. It's like any service that comes in on the hoof like that. There's going to be teething problems. 
Um, the labs are being geared up. They are starting to get um, results out in 48 hours. It was initially 72. You might still be um, uh, experiencing some 72-hour waits. Um, I think it's, like I said at the beginning, it's like anything. It's, it's a new service. People are getting used to it as they get slicker at it as they get more used to it um i think it will get better i think also there's been some issues around people just turning up thinking that they can have a test even you know a key worker thinking that they can just turn up and have a test and that slowed everything down so as as the information comes out better as we get far more um knowledge about how it's all working people get used to the online and the um self-referring hopefully things will speed up that that's that's what we've been told to look out for but yeah it's frustrating in some areas right now um okay. you know not more i can say really okay and a little bit more about finances now so and um, any more detail about simon stevens's comment about les and des payment protection what exactly is that going to look like um childhood M's finding are they preserved ppa income people say well should i now be doing my sort of private medicals is that a good time to start getting that income back in you got anything else to say on finances carol yeah well again <laughs> nhs england i shouldn't say, <clears throat> excuse me nhs england have promised us lots of detail on this all i can say um you know again we should have had a letter about this with actual detail on and we know a lot of ccgs have made up their own templates and said claim through this claim through that in terms of the quaff and the leses and the deses what we were told right at the very beginning hasn't changed if you concentrate a lot of your work say particularly for quaff and maybe i mean i know one practice said about learning disability checks they concentrate those towards the end of the year and therefore have been uh, short on doing them you will either get paid on what you achieved or your last year's achievement so your 1920 or your, sorry your um 1819 achievement depending on which is better. So you will get the higher of the two. And that's across the board on all of those. Um, how it's coming, where it's coming, we're not sure. We, we've, been, we've been in touch as well with Public Health England about um, that because we know a lot of that's activity-based. Again, certainly with child health and everything, we've been told you will get paid the better of either what you've done this year or what you did last year in that quarter or whatever. Um, and again, we're, we're still waiting for some more detail. There's also extra money gone out to the PCNs in terms of the um, IIF fund, which gave all PCNs 27 pence per weighted patient. This was to help with transformation, whether your PCNs are divvying it up to you that your members you need to ask that question. So we are pushing and pushing and pushing to make sure you don't lose money. Also, we know over Easter, some of you were asked to open what well, you did open and you had to pay your staff. That should come out of the COVID-19 fund. That's a separate fund to, to your quaff and your global sum money and your deses and leses. So we're pushing and pushing and pushing. We're keeping an eye on it. Hopefully we'll get a bit more details shortly, but, but that's, that's the situation right now. Okay, and has anybody received any COVID reimbursements yet for exceptional funding? So Perspex screens, headsets, do we know if any money's come back in yet, Carol? I think it's best to ask a practice that. Okay. I, I don't know. You don't know, that's fine. So the, 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 the one of the Q&A, right. so the answer is we don't know. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll see, maybe we'll have an answer next week. 
And one thing on, um, Michelle, can I just bring you in here? There's just a query. Has anybody started talking about the late May bank holiday and whether that's going to be given up as well for NHS staff? I'm not sure. Carol, have we heard anything? I don't think we have. I think we're waiting. Okay. Okay. I suspect we will hear more about that next week. Um, I know it's still close and, and, and everything, but I, I think there's, there's, everybody has to wait. It's all in turn. So, the, so we've got NHS England webinar tomorrow night. It might get mentioned. I doubt it. We need to wait and see what the Prime Minister's announcement is on Sunday. That, I think, will have the effect as to whether or not it will continue to be a bank holiday or not. So I think we have to wait until at least Sunday and then probably the Thursday after for NHS England. Um, we might get something from the GPC straight after Sunday. If we do, we'll share it with you next Wednesday. But at this point in time, don't know. Okay, lovely. Um, a little bit about notifications, Carol. So um, can an admin person retrospectively set up the notifications of positive COVID? Um, we have not been told it needs to be retrospective. Um, all we've been told is that when they, when they put the SOP out, which was only about the 17th, we were told from then you had to notify. So I wouldn't worry about going retrospective. Uh, I think that data is old, it's gone, it's finished. I think we just have to do it going forward if we if we get told anything else. But I, I cannot see it personally. OK. And home testing kits, who, if, the, if there's a positive, um, who has to notify that? Is it the GP? Is How does that work? We believe that's the laboratory <coughs> who does the test. We think it's the lab who gets the test and has to notify Public Health England, not GP practices. OK. If that changes... We'll let you know, but that's the line we're sticking to at this point in time, because that's what we've been told. I think that's, I'm scrolling through quickly. There are obviously some, a couple of us have come up, but I think that's probably the main things for today. Um, a lot of obviously concerns about finances and finance coming through and business as usual, getting back to that, and the shielding issues and the testing that we talked about before. So I don't think there's anything else major that I've missed. I hope I haven't, apologies if I have. Oh dear, we only want one more hand. We don't want any more hands. Okay, go on then, Mark. Can I just add in? I think I'm just yes. looking at some of the comments down the side, particularly in relation to uh, shielding. Yes, and it looks like uh, it's the 12 weeks is from the date of the letter, not necessarily the deadline of the 3rd or 30th of June. So I think it's useful just to highlight that. Um, I believe that's come from NHS England. I think Mark has also said, which may be what Mark might wanted might have wanted to to add in. Okay, that's absolutely fine. Thank you. So I just think that would so I think that's probably all for now. Just to let you know that you can book on the information governance webinar that's already available. For, that's for next Thursday. And we will be here same time, um, same place um, next Wednesday. Thank you very much. Do don't forget to do send in some sort of great ideas you've had as a reflection of the last six weeks or so. So thank you very much, everybody. So do let us know if you've got any good ideas that, and things you've lessons you've learned over the last six weeks. We'd like to share those looking to the future. And um, recording will be up shortly. So thank you very much. See you next week. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.